Hey, Pastor John Aiken here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Faith Center podcast. We hope today's teaching will awaken and equip you to live out your God-given purpose. Enjoy. So make sure everybody grab a sheet and we'll jump into tonight's teaching. I want you to first, there's so many scriptures that I only have listed because this subject is really meaningful to me. So I would say first, let's go to the book of Hebrews. Um, and this is going to kind of be just flipping through some scriptures. So hopefully you like that. If anybody would like, you can, you know, open your Bible on your phone or there's in these baskets back here, if anybody wants a physical Bible and you didn't bring one, there's some Bibles in these baskets in the back here that you can feel free to grab one if you'd like. All right. So I'll tell you what chapter here in a second. I want to pray first. So Father, we just thank you. I thank you for every household and every family that's here. I speak peace over every house here, Lord. And I just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you help us grow, Lord. Help us grow tonight. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you speak to every heart. You know what they have need of. You know what each one of us has need of. And we just pray for, as we open up your word, that you'll open up our hearts and that we'll receive. And you'll, you'll bring strength. You'll bring hope. You'll bring light to drive away any darkness. And we just ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, the tabernacle of the Old Testament is kind of what we're going to be looking at. So the sheet here, it's a sheet from one of the, by the prayer tables out front. We have different prayer resources that are out there. Uh, and this is one of the resources that's been out there for a very long time. Uh, but sometimes it's really good to be reminded of, of some of these things. Um, and I just want a, a show of hand. How many of you, when I say, be, besides you seeing it on the sheet tonight, so if you if you feel you're, you like you're an instant expert, like you pick up a sheet and now you know all about it. So besides tonight and you looking at the sheet, how many of you in here would say I'm not really that familiar with when you say the phrase tabernacle prayer? I really don't know what you're talking about. Okay, wonderful, 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 wonderful. Um, this is going to be a fun night then. So. Uh, on your sheet, that the, this the tabernacle that's at the top is just a simple little diagram, very basic diagram of the different aspects of the tabernacle. And then what I have is is walking down the three categories of the tabernacle: the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And I'm going to walk through some of this with you. And then on the back side is a prayer that you can pray, um, and you need to make it your own. This is, this is not for you just to mimic and do what I say on this because you need to follow God and, and make it a prayer of your own. And I, I just want to squeeze through a few things before we jump to the sheet. So we're come back to the sheet. So I don't know if there's, any, there's really not any room on here. I probably should have given you another thing for notes for those who want to take notes because I want to hit a couple scriptures. And you can write these scriptures on this sheet and go look them up and spend more time with them later. Uh, but I want to start, I want to start about worship because we think worship is like singing and worship can involve singing. We think worship is, is, you know, we have all these different definitions of worship, but this is kind of a pop quiz for you. If you've been coming to Faith Center for any amount of time, who can tell me what the highest form of worship is or what's the highest aspect or highest Worship at its highest level looks like what? Y'all pay attention to your pastor. That makes me so happy. I don't have to change churches. Um, really good. It's obedience. Your obedience to God, motivated by love, not motivated by fear. Your obedience to God and showing up on church at times. On time, not late. I'm just kidding. Told, oh, don't throw him under the bus. It's the man you gave me. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
the uh, so obedience is the highest form of worship, and it's always obedience motivated by love. God, I'm gonna love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. That's that's the heartbeat of it, and so that's what worship is. Worship is not just you know singing, or it's not just some aspect. All of that is is can be included. So when we talk about the tabernacle, when we talk about these things, we're gonna tie it into worship. Last week we talked about praise. Um, if you missed last week, go back to the podcast, go back to all that stuff, because I talked about seven Hebrew words that break down different expressions of praise for you to know what praise is and how to, how to praise the Lord. Tonight, we're going to be looking at worship. So first thing I want you to see is in Hebrews chapter four. Um, and we're going to skip around just a minute on this, but look at Hebrews chapter four. And many of y'all know this scripture, but just in case you don't, I want to read it. Starting in verse 14, Hebrews 4, 14. And again, you can pull it up on your phone or in the basket back here. Uh, You can just feel free to get up and go grab a Bible if if you want that. Um, So Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Does anybody hear of weaknesses? Uh, But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he was tempted, but yet he never sinned. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So guys, what we're going to talk about tonight and what we're going to look through on this diagram, and I'm just going to do a one-two skip of you and help you to see how to come to the throne of God. Because worship is about you coming to the throne of God. How do you come to the throne of God? There's a right way to enter and a wrong way to enter. Even in Jesus, Jesus who is our high priest, and who has made the way, which we'll talk about in a second, for us to come. Uh, So there's a way to come into the presence of God. It's not just happy, slappy, oh, I feel God's presence. Um, It's There's a way to come, and when you come, so Jesus has given us access to the throne of God. And what we need to do is learn how to live under the influence of the throne. Because here's the deal, one day all of us are going to stand before that the one who sits upon that throne. And, and if, you, if you accept and are responsible to access the throne that Jesus made accessible, for you to come before him now under grace, when it comes time for judgment, you won't have nothing to fear. But people who do not know how to appropriate the grace of God and the mercy of God to come before the throne of God, then the time they approach the throne, it ain't going to be a good day. So that's what I want you to see as we worship the Lord and come to the presence of God. We're coming to the one who sits on the throne, who is a father who loves us um, and his son, Jesus Christ, who who died for us. and, and, And by his blood sacrifice, he died our death so that so that he could live his life through us. And so he made the throne of God accessible to us. But many Christians don't know how to access the accessible throne of God. They barely come to church. And so, and and this is like, everybody's on this side of the room tonight. I don't know if this is like the holy side, the good side, or or whatever. You know, I'm going to, I might just move my pulpit over here just to make y'all feel better. (laughs) Uh, So we need to learn how to access it. And if you can learn just a little bit of how to access the throne of God through worship, you will live with with an understanding and an awareness of his presence all day long. He's he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And and in our life, when, when stuff pops off and goes off, it's not that he runs. We're just not aware of his presence. And we'll, we'll talk maybe more about this in a second. I want to see another scripture. Go over to, in Hebrews um, chapter 9. And, and all these chapters that I'm missing are really, really good. Really good chapters. Start in, in 9, 
Um, gosh, it's hard to skip over some of this stuff, but I'm going to do it. Verse 23, because what Hebrews begins to do is it begins to compare the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament with the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so look at verse 23, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Therefore it was necessary that the copies, everybody say copies, of these things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So let me just explain this. The better sacrifices, the, the better sacrifices um, is talking about the blood of Jesus versus the blood of bulls, rams, lambs, goats, heifers, whatever in the Old Testament. So all the Old Testament blood sacrifices were symbolic and they were all pointing to Jesus. So here's the thing, in Israel today, in Jerusalem today, I've been there, I've, I've, I've seen this, there's, there's a whole society that if they, they ever, if they ever got permission, if they ever got land rights back to the Temple Mount where the mosque sits right now, if you know anything about Jerusalem and, and the history of it, if they ever, if they ever, somehow a shift happened and they ever got the land back where the Temple Mount is, then there would be a whole group that would start to rebuild the third temple. And they would create, and the priest system would, would be in, would, would kick in the gears. They already, uh, they say they already have all these, these, um, on, on your sheets, all the different pieces of furniture that would go in the temple, that they already have them made and overladen you know, with gold, ready, just waiting. And what they would do is they would, they would start offering sacrifices just like they did in the Old Testament because they don't realize that all of that was prophetic and symbolic pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he is high priest of the priestly order of the heavenly order, which is, and hopefully you know this, and if I'm confusing you, it's all right, you'll catch up in the weeks to come. Maybe. But... The heavenly priesthood, the eternal priesthood, is the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. Very good, Melchizedek. The Levitical priesthood is the temporary priesthood of the Old Testament. So when we come into faith in Jesus Christ, we become part of an eternal priesthood. That means you're a priest of God. Jesus is the high priest. We are the priest. He's king of kings. So he is king over kings. Or who's the other kings? King David, king... No, we, we are kings. In the spirit, we are kings. So he is king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He is high priest over the priesthood. Well, Pastor John, I ain't a priest. I'm barely in church. If you're in Christ, you're a priest. Might not be a very good one, but you are a priest. And, and so you, you got to learn how to walk in the stuff, that's why it's important to study the Bible and to see the stuff. But the, the better sacrifices is comparing and contrasting the blood of bulls and goats and rams, and there's other scriptures we can look to about this, versus the blood of Jesus. And the copy of things, the copy is the, the, the tabernacle, and all these things listed about the tabernacle, the copy is what was in the earth and the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The reality, the reality, what the copies are pointing to is the true tabernacle in heaven, which is what it says next. Verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the tabernacle of the Old Testament is a copy, a shadow pointing to the substance, which is Christ, and the heavenly temple, tabernacle, really temple would be a better way to say it, um, and throne that's in the heavenly places. That makes sense? So, um, so actually what Jesus did, believe it or not, and this is a whole nother study, so, oh my gosh, whole nother study, but it's so good. 
So what Jesus actually did when he, when he rose from the dead, remember he came in John chapter 20 and Mary came to him the first day of the resurrection and he said, girl, you know, my translation is, girl, don't touch me, back up off me. I'm un, you know, you're unclean, don't touch me. And because he had not yet ascended to heaven. Because what he did is, is two things. He as the high priest, there's no priest higher than him because he's of the eternal priesthood. He's king, priest. He's a royal priest. He's a, like we are a royal priesthood. Uh, Sarah talked about that uh, a couple Tuesdays ago. And so what he did as high priest is he was the one that was taking the, the high priest, the highest priest took the highest sacrifice. Please tell me what was the highest sacrifice. Himself, his blood. Because life is in the blood. So it was a blood sacrifice. In order for something that is dead to become alive, something that is alive must die. It's a blood sacrifice. So Jesus took the highest priest, gave the highest sacrifice through his blood on the cross. And so after his resurrection, he took that blood in his eternal priesthood now and took that blood and came back up into the heavenlies, came back up into the heavenlies, came all the way through the heavenly tabernacle, heavenly temple, came all the way to where the throne of God is and the ark of God is, and laid, the, laid his blood, appropriated his blood at the highest throne possible. The mercy seat, because he, he actually is our mercy seat, the scripture says. And the reason why that's important for us as worshipers is when we know what he did for us, then we can trust that. Because it's not like Pastor John said he was going to take the sacrifice from Sunday morning that was given and take it over and, oh, I forgot to mail it. Sorry, y'all, your sins aren't forgiven. It's, it's, not, it's not that, it's what he did, what he accomplished. So on the day of temptation, on the day of your weakness, on the day of your struggle, on the day when you're losing your mind, what you need to remember, in order to remember who you are in Him, you first remember who He is and what He did, and then you reorient yourself to who He is, what He did for you, so you know what He's doing in you, and you can reorient yourself to that to get yourself out of stinking thinking, and remember how much he loved you that he gave his, his own, he died on the cross for you, demonstrating his love for you. And then he brought that sacrifice, the highest sacrifice by the highest priest, brought to the highest throne on your behalf. And so if he's done that for you, we hold fast to that confession. And we come boldly to the throne of grace. Not because we deserve anything, because we don't. We all need a Savior. So we don't come boldly because we did something. Look at me, look at me. No, it's look at him, look at him. It's not that we did something is why we come boldly. We're weak. We're broken. We're nothing without him. But when we begin to see what he did for us as worshipers, we can boldly approach the throne to remember who he is and remember what he's done. Therefore, remember who we are in him. Because sometimes in this world, it's easy to forget. That was good stuff. I don't care who you are. That'll help you out. Um, and let's go to Hebrews 10 real quick. Since we're right there. We'll start in verse 1. Hebrews 10, verse 1. Again, this is still talking about the priesthood and the sacrifices that we'll be talking about at the, the tabernacle and the temple. So Hebrews 10, 1, for the law, and that's the Old Testament, the instruction of God, having a shadow of the good things to come. So remember the law, the copies are a shadow um, showing us the good things to come in Christ. And not the very image of these things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Just stay with me, I'll explain it. For then, meaning if, it, if those old sacrifices would have made those people perfect, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, 
and that's what we are, worshipers in Christ, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of the sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls or goats could take away sins. And he goes on with some other stuff for sake of time. It's it's really good. I'm going to skip down to verse 10. By that will we have been made, we have, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So again, he, now he's contrasting back about the old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. Every year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they would come offer the sacrifices to make the to symbolically remove the people's sins for one year. Next year, we got to do it all again. So that blood never really took away sins. It was pointing to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And in the old system, it was done every year. Okay? And then look at verse 12. But this man, after he had offered, or notice it should be a capital M, this man, after he offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice. And notice it. One sacrifice for sins. Plural. Forever sat down at the right hand of God, which in Bible language, sitting down at the right hand of God means you're finished. It's complete. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also bears witness for after he, um, for after he said, Uh, Before, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now therefore, uh, or now where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sins. It's huge stuff. I'm I'm, going to try to tie it together without going too long in it. But verse 19 and 20, then we'll, we'll be done. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, here you see this boldness again, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And if you have a Bible, you can write in, under the, underline this, verse 20. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He goes on saying really good stuff. So what I want to tell you is Jesus Christ, and there's a lot of there's other scriptures I could show you, but the tabernacle of the Old Testament is a symbol, shadow, and type pointing you to Jesus Christ. The whole thing screams Jesus. Because he's the high priest and he's the blood sacrifice. The whole thing is all about Jesus, the new and living way. So when we're praying through the tabernacle, we're not going back under the law to pray something under the Old Testament. We are actually operating in the fullness of the New Testament, which Jesus himself said, do not think I come to do away with the law. Because the law was a copy of the eternal priesthood. So in the earth, we study something temporary to live in something that's eternal. Does that make sense? We're not coming into something temporary. We are already in something that's eternal, in Christ. But to understand what we're in eternally, we have to study what was temporary to give us some clues about what we're in. But we're not going back under the law because that never made anybody perfect. We're in Christ. We're not in Moses. But we study this because it's all pointing to Christ. And and I want to show you one more scripture. And then we'll jump into the tabernacle. Acts chapter 6. 
This blows my mind. I shared this with somebody just the other night. Maybe that's why it's on my mind. Acts chapter 6, most scholars believe, is about um, six years, believe it or not, after the day of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. So the early church has been operating about six years in Jerusalem. And there's the, the whole first few verses you can look at. It's, it's really good. Read, read the whole thing. Just read the Bible. Read the Bible. But what I want you to see is verse 7. The word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. What else was in Jerusalem? The temple. The temple. And the temple is the same layout, the same layout as the tabernacle. The temple is the, is the stone structure, the permanent, permanent building, not the tent that was temporarily carried, but the temple followed the same layout as the tabernacle that was in the wilderness. And so in Jerusalem, and a great many, so not just like one or two, but a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let me tell you what that means. Here are men that had given their whole entire life through their lineage, being raised as Levites, trained from the days they were kids, trained to operate as a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. And many of them would serve one time in their life. They trained their entire life for one time. Or some, it was a season they were there. If they were blessed enough, their lot would have been chosen during one of the high feasts of Israel. Like Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement that I was just talking about. Once a year, the priest would go in and bring the blood. From, from the altar. Uh, and so, think about it. Think about it. In Jerusalem, these apostles are preaching this gospel of Jesus Christ that most people are saying is a cult and it's, some, it's, it's attacking Judaism and, and all this stuff being said and Paul persecuting the church at the time, being a, a Pharisee who's, who's, who's saying that these people that they called the way is what they called because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, which actually is a reference to the tabernacle, the three parts of the tabernacle, the way, the truth, and the life. The life being the holy of holies, the ark. That's a, I can't go into all that, though, even though I just kind of did. Uh, but the, these priests, you got to think about this. When they came, became obedient to the faith, what that meant most likely for these great many of the priests is they left their job at the temple. So imagine being trained about how you handle the sacrifices of blood, of the, of the blood from goats and bulls and rams and how to handle that to bring it before Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and how to minister and do all, all the things, all the different things that you do at each one of the stations that I'm not going to unpack all of them tonight, but each one of the stations and the holy things that would happen, they would be trained in the, they were trained as best as you could be trained in the shadows, the copies. And so then they go and hear these Bible studies and these apostles teaching about the high priest, Jesus Christ. And now, wait a minute, that's not in our priesthood. Like, like no, here's a higher priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. Here's a higher blood sacrifice than, than the ones y'all used to operate with. And they would leave, they had to leave the temple and come be obedient to the faith. Now, I assume that they left the temple. Because in that culture and in that time frame, it was a black or white thing. It was, it was an us and them thing. You were either, you were, if you were Jewish, you were either Jewish or, or you became a Christian. You became a, a Christian 
Um, and the early church, the early church that was called Christians, were very, were very, um, uh, what's the proper way to say this? They had a Jewish flavor and Jewish roots about them because Jesus is Jewish, but they came out of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. And then there was a battle with some of them because even though they came into the New Covenant and they could come boldly to the throne of grace, uh, to the eternal throne, and they're a part of eternal priesthood, they started trying to bring other people back under the old priesthood and make them keep the rules. And Paul was like, you know, in the New Testament, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, we're saved by grace, not by works. And so there was this battle going on. So for the majority, it was really us or them. You're on one side or the other. And so that's why I'm saying they probably would have to leave the priesthood in order to walk in the priesthood. Which is cool to me. Or they didn't leave the priesthood, but when they went back to work, in the, in the temple, they realized this is just a copy. And the real one's in heaven, and they could have been in there incognito. I plead the blood over this. I plead the blood over this. I plead the blood of Jesus over this. I don't know which way it was. But to me, a great many of the priests became worshipers, basically, in the new covenant. That's huge to me, because they would have understood this in ways that I don't even know how to explain it to you. And they came to believe Jesus is the high priest. And this is about the throne. And I don't have to be a high priest in order to make my way through, through all the way through to the holiest of holies because Jesus made it accessible. Just incredible when you get an understanding of that. So when you look at your sheet, you, you see it, kind of the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Three parts. And what I want you to see is, this is what I do almost every day of my life. There's been some days I miss. But almost every day of my life, uh, I walk through the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And at the outer court, you see what I do on the, the big heading. I present my body before him. On the inner court, or the holy place, which is also called the inner court, the holy place, um, I present my soul, my heart to him. And I'll talk about that in a second. And at the Holy of Holies, I present my spirit to him. So what I do is I present myself on all three levels to God, usually on a daily basis. Now, I don't, I'm already one with him and he's already one with me because of my faith in Christ. But I do this and I want you to see I want you to see the benefit of this and see this. So, so Jesus Christ, he is the door. So you come to the tabernacle. You come, if you look over on this far right, and Hebrew is read from right to left. We in English read from left to right. So that's why I did the tabernacle this way. It's from right to left. And by the way, the door of the tabernacle uh, would have been at the east, would have been at the east side. Um, and the Holy of Holies would have been from on the west side, always set up east to west. So when the scripture says he has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, we think, oh, from that direction to this direction. That's not what he's talking about. Any Jew would have known what he was talking about. When he says he's removed your sins from you as far from the east is from the west, it's a reference to the tabernacle as far as the altar is from the holy place, the holiest of holies. So what he's saying is much of a difference there is between the altar where the blood sacrifice was given for sin all the way over to the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant as far as the east is from the west is as far as your sins have been removed from you. And if you don't believe that, you're going to keep living in your sin. But if you believe it in the day of your temptation, in the day of your battle, you think, wait a minute, my body is lying to me. My brain is lying to me. My emotions are lying to me. My soul is lying to me. The enemy, my circumstances are lying to me. I'm not going to go do this sinful, dumb thing that I, that I have done many times. See, that's who I was. That's not who I am. 
And it's not because I changed and tried to, tried to become better. No, it's because I'm in Jesus Christ and he's in me. And he has taken my sin from the cross of the altar, the blood sacrifice, all the way to the throne. And my sin has been separated from me. And I am not who I was. And if I believe that, I can now access the authority of that, which is coming boldly to the throne of grace to get your hands on that grace and mercy that you need in this time of need. To look at that, to speak to your brain, to speak to your soul, to speak to your body, to speak to your circumstances, and to look at that from a place of authority and say, nope, my body wants it, my emotions want it, but I don't want it. Because that's who I was, that's not who I am, no, we ain't doing that. And so what that means is you learn how to present your body to Jesus a new and living way. So you see that scripture there underneath the outer court, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. So now these priests who in Acts chapter 6 came out of the priesthood into the priesthood, came out of the temporary priesthood into the eternal priesthood. When they read that verse or heard that verse, they would have understood it at a high level. And they would have realized, oh, I'm not just handling a sacrifice as I'm bringing it through these different elements in the temple, that Jesus is the sacrifice. Uh, and so in my faith agreement with him, he's the sacrifice that was killed and brought back to life. So now by faith, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. That's what it means to take up your cross. It doesn't mean take up your cross and be punished. A lot of people say take up your cross and you're trying to, you're trying to replace the cross of Jesus by you being crucified. No, you take up your cross in agreement with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the finished work that he had for you. So you taking up your cross is not you punishing yourself for sin. You taking up your cross is realizing that Jesus already walked this path before you and I'm with him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a living sacrifice and I'm going to lay my life on this altar. So this first brazen altar that you see, which is part of the, the outer court there, that brazen altar is, is basically the cross. And so what we do is, you see, you see over there the brazen altar is the cross of Christ. And we take, we deny ourselves and take up the cross. And, and so what I do is I walk through and I present myself before him and, and I pray it different ways and I say it different ways depending on what I feel and how much coffee I had in that morning. And, but I lay myself and, and, and I, I usually am on my knees when I'm doing this, but in my mind's eye, I'm, I'm laying myself at the cross and I'm remembering the day that I, that I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I said, that day and today. It should be just like a marriage with Sarah sitting right here. Um, that I said I do on that day and I say I do today. That's what it's like. And you deny yourself. You say no to yourself and you, you let your day start with what Jesus finished on the cross. That's the brazen altar. So, that's, so think about this. If this was a 3D model of the tabernacle up here, I come to the door, Jesus is the door, and the whole tabernacle is him. The whole tabernacle is him. And because he is the blood... He's the blood sacrifice, and because he is the high priest that I'm following, that he is my new and living way. So I'm not following the tabernacle, I'm following Jesus. But as I look at the tabernacle, I see Jesus. So Jesus does not teach me about the tabernacle, the tabernacle teaches me about Jesus. And so what I do is I come to that brazen altar and I just, I, I lay myself down 
And I quote scripture about denying myself. And I literally will say, I literally say, and here, Lord, I, today, this morning, I present my body to you. I present like you're presenting an offering. I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. Many times I'll say, not my will be done, but yours. All kinds of scriptures you can put into this as you walk with the Lord, make it relational. But you're literally praying through, walking through the tabernacle. Like a virtual thing. With Jesus. Appropriating what he's already finished. Does that make sense? And, and so, so then... then we come to the laver, and the laver is this place of water, which there's ugh, more I could say, but I, I'm already going long. It's, it's the cleansing of sin. You can see in 1 John, the scriptures I have there about, you know, that he cleanses us from sin. So when we confess our sin before him, he cleanses us and washes us. And then how a husband should speak over his wife from Ephesians 5. If you can go read that, it says that the washing of the water by the word, that the word of God is a washing over you. And it's a cleansing over you. And, and so when you, you, you look at this, it's this laver. And there's so many things about the laver. And the priest would see that reflection, all, all kinds of stuff. But what I want you to see is the blood sacrifice is the, is the brazen altar. Then you come to this laver and you're being washed. See, the penalty from your sin was paid at the altar. But then that altar produces this living water that, of the spirit that cleanses you from your sin washes you from it. And so that's that whole part in the outer court. Then the holy place, you present your soul before him. And I literally present my soul before him. And that candlestick, that menorah, that candlestick, you see, seven branch uh, lampstand. And so it's quoting from Isaiah chapter 11. This is what I see, and I've, I've taught this before, so hopefully you see this. But Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, I've got it there on your sheet. The lampstand, the candlestick, it says this, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Notice it's all about Jesus. Will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, that spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Um, and so the spirit of the Lord is a center beam in this candlestick. The center pole is the spirit of the Lord. That's the first. And then you see these two connected. So uh, hopefully you can see the graphic of the candlestick and you see it's one center one. And then you have these branches that are connected. So what I want you to see is the connection in them. Wisdom and understanding connected on that first beam going across. Wisdom and understanding. And I'm telling you through the rest of your Bible, when the Spirit of God, you see wisdom, you'll see understanding. And, and through that second one, you see counsel and might. So it's the counsel of God that actually activates the might of God. And then you see the fear, you, you know, the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Those are connected. And it's all about Jesus. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit illuminates to bring light in your soul. So in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 or 3, where it talks about Jesus is telling, talking to the church and he's saying, if you don't repent, I'll remove the lampstand. He's not saying I'm going to remove your salvation because that's in your spirit. Salvation is in your spirit. What he's saying is, I'll remove my presence. And you'll you can be saved, but live in darkness. I'll remove my presence. And, and when we live without his presence, we find artificial light. So every day I pray through that lampstand. I, pr I pray through it. The table of showbread, which is all this bread that's you see a little, hopefully you can understand the layout of it. And it speaks to the living bread. Jesus is the living bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus clearly in the Gospel of John says he is the living bread that came down from heaven. Your fathers ate manna in the Old Testament, but I and they died. But I am the living bread. So it's feeding from him feeding from him and his word. You are sustained by his bread. And that means, see, here's why fasting is so important. Because remember, this middle part, this, this holy, the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place, that middle part is your soul. See, most of us with gluttony, um, 
Well, I'll just, y'all never practice that. Only I do. So, um, but with gluttony, what happens is I feed my belly to soothe my soul. What fasting is, what fasting is, is I'm shutting down the false food source of my belly. And through my spirit, through the spirit of God in me, the spirit of God is now feeding my soul. So fasting is actually feasting on an invisible food. And you go without something in order to focus on something. If you just don't eat, if you fast and you just don't eat, then you've missed the point. Fasting is you actually sustain your stomach and your body by, by eating spiritual food. Feeding on Christ. That's why Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 4, I believe it is, where he said, I have food you know not of. They were like, Jesus, we've been ministering all day. It's time to go to Cracker Barrel. And he said, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, did you stop by? You, did you get an Uber Eats or something? What, how, don't, how, how are you good? He said, I have food you don't know of. What do you mean? Would you order a pizza? What do you mean you have food we don't know of? And he said, it's my food to do the will of my, of my father who sent me. So he's feeding on that. So this show, table of showbread is not only the, 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 or you, the, the, the holy place is not only the lampstand where all these elements of the reality of the spirit of God are shining light to us um, as a lampstand, but it's also food for us. And then the last one in that, that middle part is the, uh, the altar of incense, which you can read Psalm 141, and there's a lot of other scriptures that talk about prayer and praise. Prayer and praise being incense. Revelation talks about your prayers are received in bowls, like incense. And so there's this thing of this aroma of praise. That's why I challenge y'all to when you're worshiping God to get past yourself. Don't make it those. If you want to worship God, you got to worship him in spirit and truth, not flesh. That's why it's, it's spirit and truth because an aroma begins to rise up from your life of, of a fragrance that goes literally to the nostrils of God. And that's why in the Old Testament, when they were having ungodly incense and ungodly worship, and they're offering ungodly sacrifices, God, God at one time said this, it, literally in Psalms it says this, no more bull. Stop offering your bulls. I'm, I'm weary of your praise. I'm weary of it. Because all you're doing is, is doing this stuff unto yourself. You're not, it's not a fragrant, a fragrant offering to me. It's filled with the pollutants of selfishness and pride, not humility and brokenness, worshiping the true living God. God, thank you. God, I love you. God, thank you. I was dying in my sin and you sent your son to come save me. He's high priest. He's the lamb of God. And, and, and so Lord, I come now to your throne through the invitation of Jesus, and you worship Him instead of walking up in there like you got something or like you are somebody. And that's why it's brokenness and humility, like a little child just worshiping God, letting that fragrance come off your life, but not just when you're in church service and there's some music playing. It's every day of your life, God, let this incense come off of me that the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. A fragrant offering. That's what this is about. And so then, then you get to where the veil would have been. The veil that was torn in two when Jesus was crucified. The veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And when I get to this point, I usually stop and in my mind's eye, I see this veil, but I see it already ripped in two. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I've presented my body before you as a living sacrifice. I've presented my soul before you. And Lord, now I come and I present my spirit before you. And when I come to the Ark of the Covenant, I'm coming to the throne of God. And, and when I come to the throne of God, I in my mind's eye, I see the Father and I see Jesus. 
And as I come to the throne of God, usually I'm praying like this in all that I just said. In all that I just said, I'm somehow kneeling in, a, in front of a chair. Not always, but, but sometimes. Um, it, unless my dogs come in and start sniffing me, then they, I just, oh my gosh. They will put their nose in places they don't need to put their nose. And then I get in the flesh and I smack them and then I got to repent. Um, I mean, I don't smack them, Sarah. I just pet them. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, really hard. And and so then when I when I come and I Lord, I present my spirit before you through Jesus Christ. I'm one spirit with you because the scripture says that. And so then what I do is I turn and I sit like this. Does anybody know why I get up and I'm seated when I'm there? Talk to me out loud. Because the scripture said in Ephesians, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ, with Christ. So now to remind myself of that, like it's already finished. I get off my knees and I sit. And I'm sitting with, in my, in my awareness, I'm sitting with Christ in heavenly places. And then I begin to pray, God, all the things I have to do today. I pray over my family. I pray over this church family. I pray the, the, the Lord's prayer. I, I'll pray in the spirit some. I'll, I'll, I'll just start praying over, I'll, I'll pray, I'll speak over the nation. From that seated place, I'll just begin, just let the Lord just begin to lead. And many times that's where I get assignments from that place. And all this, I can do it in 60 seconds. Or it can take 60 minutes. So what I want to do um, is we're going to read this twice, the backside. Because uh, when, um, and the, that last thing at Scripture, you probably already read it because you are studious people, but that last thing about on the Holy of Holies is the ark. It's Christ in you. Christ in you. There's two major arcs in the Bible, the Ark of Noah and the Ark of the Covenant. Two major arcs. The first arc, the Ark of Noah, represents how we are in Christ saved from judgment. Okay? The other arc is about the presence of God being in us because just like this tabernacle and temple is three parts, an outer court, an inner court, and a holy of holies, it's, our, it's us, a body, soul, and a spirit. And so the ark of God, when we are born again and surrender our life to Jesus, the presence of God, the ark of God, the one who sits on the throne comes to live inside of us. So it's the ark in us. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That make sense? And so I want to read this once to you, and then I'm going to pray it. Heavenly Father, by grace through faith. And I hope y'all know, y'all know me well enough. I don't sit here and read stuff. I wing it and fling it, but I wrote it out for y'all. Heavenly Father, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, I come to you today and present myself a living sacrifice. I come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in my time of need. I enter your gates with thanksgiving and I enter your courts with praise. You are good and your mercy endures forever. By the way, all this is scripture. I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. I deny myself, take up my cross and follow you. I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in this body, in this day. See, I add stuff already. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and loves me and gave himself for me. I thank you, Father, that I am a new creation in Christ. The old has gone and the new is here. And I confess any and all sin in my life and, and I'll stop and confess it specifically. And ask you to cleanse me and wash me and remind me of who you made me to be. Thank you for loving me, forgiving me, and accepting me, even when I stumble or struggle. And I present my soul to, the Holy, to you, Holy Spirit. May the lampstand of your presence rule and reign in me. May the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord rule and reign in me. You are my living bread and I will live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Thank you for giving me my daily bread 
And may spirit-filled prayers and praise rise from the altar of my heart like a frag- like fragrant um, incense of worship to you all day long. And many times there, I'll just stop and start blessing God. I'll just start just blessing Him, sometimes even praying in the Spirit. And then, Father, I present my spirit to you. Thank you for tearing the veil of the temple from top to bottom. Thank you for making me one spirit with Jesus Christ and seating me in heavenly places in Him. Thank you for giving me a new identity, a new authority, and a new destiny in Christ. Today, I will love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I submit myself to you and I resist the devil. I will honor you today. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I pray the peace blessing, and victory of Christ over all those whom you have made me responsible for and responsible to. In Jesus' name. Guys, I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> you do that. You know, it'll. sometimes it's awkward starting because you forget, you know, you, you get like, you know, you you may forget whatever, and that's why I make this. And this resource has been sitting out there for almost two years, year and a half, something like that. Been sitting right at the prayer table, and I haven't changed a thing. I just I just printed it out. Didn't change a thing from from whenever I first printed it. But if you begin to learn and, and find your own rhythm, find your own way, God, the Holy Spirit will give you verses. Write it out, walk it out, take your time. You'll learn how, because it's not about doing everything perfectly because we're not under the law. It's, it's one, two, skip a few through these things that, that help you to, to focus on Jesus and see Jesus and, and, and honor him. And for me, when I walk through all that and then I, then I sit here, and I'll, I'll chase rabbits all along the way. I chase rabbits not only in sermons, but even through the tabernacle. And I just begin to praise him. And then all day long when I get up from this place, because I've, I've been, I start my day from being seated in Christ. And sometimes I do it in the middle of the night. If I can't sleep or whatever, Ain't no need to get up and go watch stuff on TV you don't need to watch. Go do this. Go do this. And he'll lead you in different things. And sometimes warfare, well, spiritual warfare will kick in. Sometimes when I'm sitting there, I'll stand and I'll just start calling out things. I'll just start declaring things. Because here's the deal. You know, your quiet time with the Lord shouldn't always be quiet. So I want to ch- I challenge you last week with praise, and I gave you that handout last week for you to look at praise and be comfortable in different forms of praise and express. Say, I'm not comfortable lifting my hands. I'm not comfortable singing. Okay, but all these biblical forms of praise, you should learn how to be comfortable with. And then here's a simple way to, to understand what Jesus has done for you. So does anybody have any questions about this? Seriously, is there, is there a question that anybody has like, well, what about this and, and how do you do this or some kind of question? I just want to take a minute. I feel like there's a question that somebody has sincerely. I could be wrong, but I just want to see. No question? You do? Well, you were late, so it doesn't matter. No, okay. What's up? The candlestick, yep. The Spirit of the Lord. The middle of the, she's talking about the, the menorah, the candlestick. The middle one is the Spirit of the Lord because that's the first one. And the way that candlestick operates is you have the main branch and then it's the, the branches, the main frame, and then you have these branches coming, coming out of it. It's one piece, yeah. Made out of one piece. And notice, the, how many, so besides the middle one, how many branches are there? Six. Six is the number of man. So when man is connected into the one. 
Great question. Great, but but I, I walk through and I I I pray that just just like I, I shared. Any other questions? Maybe that was the one that was needed. Okay, who said that? Okay. I'm talking about praying in tongues. Yep. You got to stand on your left foot. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's this simple. I could show you lots of Bible verses, lots of stuff, show you all. People get freaked out about tongues because people have misrepresented tongues. In the, the Bible talks about two kinds of, when it says speaking in tongues, it's talking about one of two things. It's talking about a gift of the Spirit that not everybody will operate in which is me speaking in tongues to a person or to a group of people, and there must be an interpretation that follows. Not everybody will walk in that. The other is a prayer and praise language. So you never see in the Bible, you never see, like people say they spoke in tongues in the book of Acts so that other people, other nations could hear the gospel and the gospel could be preached in other nations. That's a lie. In Acts chapter 2, they were, they were in the upper room praying, and when they were praying, the Spirit of God came upon them, and as they continued to pray, they started praising. You are the most high God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because it says they were magnifying God. didn't say they were preaching the gospel. They were magnifying God. So it's a prayer and praise language unto God that you don't know what you're saying, but you're worshiping God. And, and what happened is they say, well, then... Well, how was the gospel preached? Well, Peter came downstairs from the upper room, went outside, had some conversation about what was happening, and then, and then what he said is, Men of Israel, hear this. And then he started preaching to them the gospel in a common language. So tongues was never used to preach the gospel in the Bible. But yet most Baptists, sorry, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, yeah, most traditional sensationist people who say that stuff is, is ceased. It's done away with. We don't need it anymore because it was used then to teach and get the gospel in other languages. That's not true. Now, does the Spirit of God work that way sometimes? Yeah, you, missionaries tell all kinds of cool stories about that. But in the Bible, you never see that happen that I know of. They were magnifying God, and the other people heard them magnifying God, and then Peter came down in a common language preach the gospel and 3,000 souls got saved. So what I say to you is this. You go into your, your quiet place that should sometimes come loud before God and you begin to walk through here and then all you do is, Lord Jesus, I thank you for saving me and I ask you to fill me, pour out, overflow, slap on me, throw at me. I don't care how you say it. Let the power of your Holy Spirit come upon me and empower me with a, a prayer and praise language beyond my mental capability. You don't turn off your brain like, oh, you don't, that's weird. And you can open up to demonic things. But what you do is you submit your mind to the Lord. Because Paul said, in conclusion, I'll pray with my understanding and I'll, and I'll pray in, in the Spirit. So praying in the Spirit, by Paul's definition, is praying in tongues or praising in tongues. Okay? And so... That's what I'm talking about is wide open for everybody. And a lot of churches get goofy with it. A lot of people have done weird stuff with it. Um, and God can be weird. That's totally cool. He can do a lot of stuff that is, is outside of our comfort zone. But you go into your personal closet with the Lord. Um, if you sit by me, if you sit over here by Sarah and I on Sunday morning, you'll hear me pray in tongues all the time. I'm singing in tongues, whatever. I sing a little better in tongues than I do in English. But I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to him. You know? So, but I encourage you to just go before the Lord. You don't even have to understand everything. Lord, I trust you. And I come and I'm just going to let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Here's, what, here's what, how God helped me with it through a lady named Sergeant Booth. Um, this is what she told me one day. I was, I, was, I was frustrated because I had heard about tongues and I asked God to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know all that it meant. And I just, I struggled with English anyways. <laughs> and then, so speaking another language, I was like, I don't know if I'm able to do this. And so what ended up happening with me is uh, one, about three, three and a half months went by from when I first asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, 
and I hadn't spoken in tongues, so I didn't think I received it, which that's also a lie. But, um, but what ended up happening was we were at this Bible study, and I just was praising God. I thank you, God. I bless you. Just magnifying God, sitting here at this little Bible study, just about that loud. Just, and I, I'm feeling God's presence like I usually would, and the syllable came out of my mouth. I was just, Lord, I praise you, I bless you, and, you know, whatever. The syllable came out, like a two-phrase syllable, whatever. And I was like, what was that? And Sergeant Booth said, that's it. I'm like, that's what? She said, that's tongues. And then I was like, uh, tongues, oh, my gosh, tongues, because it just sounds tongues. It sounds weird, you know. And so I was kind of like, uh, and this is what she told me. She said, keep praising God, stop speaking English. And I was like, bet. <laughs> All right. So I just, Lord, I just thank you. I just praise you. And, and it just started flowing. So just do it privately. You don't have to worry about looking like a fool or looking like whatever. Just let you and Jesus go before and he'll show you. And, and don't, don't worry. Don't make it about tongues. Make it about praise rising up to him. You know, so that's what I encourage you with. All right. Yeah, really good questions. So next week, we are not coming here, right? Right. So let me pray over you. Father, in Jesus name, I give you thanks. I give you praise. I honor you. I thank you for every person here. And I pray you help us take this sheet and this lesson and help us, God, walk it out. I pray you help everybody in there coming boldly to the throne of grace. Help them, God. Empower them, God. Let your lampstand burn bright within them. And I thank you for victory in their life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Faith Center podcast. To connect with us, go to faithcenter.tv and fill out our connection card. We pray blessings over you and your family. We'll see you next time.